Welcome to the Mortis and Tenon Magazine podcast, where we're celebrating historic furniture making. This is episode number seven. I'm Joshua. And I'm Mike. And we are uh, excited to talk about issue four today. Um, But first, uh, I think last time we talked about our t-shirt that we had. I think it was not yet arrived. We had talked about it. Uh, We got it and we love it. It's way better than we thought. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. The the design is really uh, detailed. The colors are beautiful. We're very pleased with it. I mean. Yeah. And I don't even know. Did we say last episode what it says on the back of the shirt? I don't think no. so. Uh, so we have uh, the design. We have uh, my three bench plane irons, my four plane, triplane, and smoothing plane laid out and then with their wedges next to them. So it's just this very stark, simple, geometric uh, drawing. And then in the back, it says cutting-edge technology. Um, obviously, it's a play on words yeah. uh, to say this old technology is cutting-edge technology because it is literally cutting-edge technology. Right. Um, but I think it's it's good because I, I, I feel like I want to kind of uh, not single-handedly reclaim, but so, t- too often people think of the word technology to mean digital technology right computers and stuff that's what technology is yeah but i think metallurgy is technology yeah exactly shaping wood with iron tools is technology bevel edges on cutting tools that's technology um technology tools are technology and i know a lot of people that are interested in the history of technology and they're looking at sticks and inclined planes and all these different basic right yeah that's technology uh just as much as smartphones are technology so uh, for, for us, we really wanted a shirt that's emphasizing that, saying, hey, these tools are cutting-edge technology. Yeah. Um, I, but I think the other thing, too, I was thinking is, like, it was reminding me of Roy Underhill. Mm. <laughs> because <laughs> yes. Roy's thing is not about, oh, well, let's let's just look back at the past because that's when it was good. Right. And, and forget stay the future. there, yeah. His yeah. whole thing is hand tools are the future. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, these, this is the technology. This is how things gonna... are sustainable. This is how we can move <clears throat> ahead. Yeah, it it didn't occur to me until I saw the shirt and just thought about the context. It was in my hands, and I thought, "This is like so in the spirit of Roy Underhill. That's <laughs> awesome." So we should yeah. send Roy a shirt. We should send Roy yeah. a shirt. <laughs> I bet he does. He wear shirts with <laughs> logos on it. I don't know if he does. Probably not. <laughs> no. Yeah, so we're we're excited about it. If you're interested in the shirt, you can uh, order yours on our website, mortisintendentmag.com, um, and uh, join the club. <laughs> yeah, it's an it's a nice shirt. Yeah. Uh, as Joshua mentioned today, uh, our topic of conversation is basically how issue four came together. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about um, about writing. We're gonna talk about some new things with the issue, and. Uh, basically why uh you know why we feel this is the best one yet which (laughs) (laughs) i know we say that every time but uh how did this issue come together how did the uh the articles um submissions the authors that we talked to how did this all take shape um well you know we each article is different right um and and basically the way this that we put our um, each issue, how it comes together is, is based on our interactions with our friends and colleagues, people mm-hmm. we know that are publishing really great stuff. Basically, we just kind of keep our eyes peeled for who's doing awesome stuff. Yep. 
and we say, hey, we contact them and say, hey, what are you doing with yeah. that? Uh, would you be interested in pursuing that more? And then we talk about it. And so we have issue five is already pretty much booked. Issue six is starting to fill up with ideas. We're working way ahead. Um, so we don't we can't take um, reader submissions because we already have a lot of relationships and ideas bubbling under the surface right. for future issues. Um, but one in particular I was thinking about uh, was Vic Tesselin's article about axes, right? The bench axe that were you know hatchets, um, and we talked with Vic about that at Fine Woodworking Live last year. Last year, yeah. And we were just chatting, and I don't even remember how it came up. I it, he started. Um, it was uh, when talking to him about doing the book review, the Hoadley book. Oh yeah. And he's like, oh, I you know I want to write about bench axes and using yeah and oh yeah yeah he was he was excited about that and we said hey that sounds really great yeah um and so you know at that point that was definitely not in time for issue three but uh he put it together for this issue yeah and uh the way that um will lisek's article on uh woodworking in romania basically timber framing in romania came about is uh we saw his trip pictures on Instagram yeah. and, and I reached out and said, well, that looks awesome. Can, can we write an article about this? <laughs> and, uh, he got back and was, was super helpful and, uh, put everything together and, uh, just formed this really awesome article. He rounded up people from his team who had taken pictures and he sent us, uh, more pictures than, than we've had to sift through for, any other article yeah usually from authors it makes sense they they send us maybe 20 30 pictures to choose from but will because of the nature of the trip and a bunch of people went that had cameras we probably got 400 pictures which is awesome because (laughs) that is you have variety you can pick you know different angles for the shot that you like and it it was really fun to look through those pictures even the ones I mean, there are so many compelling pictures that we couldn't put in this article. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. it it's a gorgeous article, um, and it's a lot of fun. It's, yeah. a, it's a really cool write-up. Yeah, I mean, that is really how a lot of these these articles come together, because that was the exact same way that Jared Dahl's article hmm. came together, the production one. You know, I, I remember watching him on Instagram commenting some things about production and uh, how that relates to craft work and how it informs your your growth as an artist to be you know doing um, the same task making the same object over and over and he had been talking about it over and over and right. he's, he's basically emphasizing this and it, i really latched onto it and was paying close attention and there was one day he was working on this fence for a friend um adding the surfaces of these pickets for a fence and I just couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I had I contacted him and said, Jared, we got to pursue this because this idea you have is really compelling and fascinating. Can you develop this further? Keep going and write an article. Um, and, and fortunately, he was game. He wanted to do it. So, yeah. um, you know, it really is, you know, we don't take reader submissions just because we can't. But this is how we do it. We watch and we interact with people and we see someone doing something really fascinating. And we just reach out to him saying, hey, you yeah. know. And we have, you know, for issue five, we got ideas and it's the same kind of Yeah, it's a very, it's kind of a, a, a grassroots way of, of sourcing these articles and this material. I feel like it's just 
um, you know, catching something in the wind or, you know, someone who mentions someone else doing something really fascinating. And yeah. so you track them down and talk to them. And, um, and it's, it's really cool how it comes together. It's, it's been a lot of fun to see how issue four has, has come together and, and formed. Um, but yeah. yeah. And I mean, yeah, the other thing is too, you know, we have, sometimes we'll have people ask us, Hey, I'm, I'm willing to write, but I don't know what to write about. Do you mm -hmm. have any ideas for me? You know, writing for us. Right. And not really. Be I mean, basically, it's we want to choose uh, the, the articles that are just bubbling inside of people. And they just are so excited about this one thing. And they're just so focused on it. We we latch on to that and say, yeah, yeah. can you? Yeah. We want to give you um, a platform to be able to develop that and share it. So, I mean, that's how it works for us. We just kind of watch what people are into. Yep. I mean, and, you know, Jim McConnell, I think, got his idea for his article in the same kind of relationship. Um, you know, he saw a picture, he was interacting with people, and he, it started with this, he saw this one photograph, and he said, of this drawer, this crazy drawer construction. And he said, how is that done? Yep. And he had to go pursue it and, and track it down. So, and then he ends up, you know, cutting all these V grooves out of a drawer that's all this solid back and yep. steam bending lots drawer. of trial and crazy. error to figure yeah. out how it was done yeah so I, I think it's really cool to be able to do that to find something that's that you just when you wake up at night yeah that's what you're thinking you can't about get it out so of your that head is so crazy how did they do that well that's what we want to write about yep. that kind of stuff that's just deep inside absolutely so yeah but i mean every time we go through this process we have a lot of we, Mike and I spend a lot of time staring at words, mm -hmm. looking at commas, and then Megan Fitzpatrick corrects our use of commas because we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> right. And uh, M dash N dash hyphen. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, so we really uh, love learning about wordcraft just as much as woodcraft, mm. and uh, we, so we, every issue we talk about writing and the value of it and how what we've been learning throughout this journey of ours woodworkers effective communication and storytelling yeah. and yeah so we started a, a blog series writing sharing the the little bit we've been learning in our journey as you know growing in our writing and uh, editing through other people's manuscripts right um and we just launched it yeah you said you're working on Yep. some stuff you want to talk about yeah in the next um, post yeah we're um <clears throat> basically the series is going to proceed through from um, talking about writing and different points of strong writing different points of of growing in writing and uh, becoming a better writer and we're also going to talk a bit about photography because uh you know we we feel very strongly that uh visual communication is is extremely compelling and we you know we will uh, you know march to that beat all day long basically we uh, are learning and, and growing also in our understanding of of light and mm -hmm. um you know how to how to compose a, a compelling image and so that will be another part of this series yeah but uh Let's see where where are we in the series right now? You you just put up I, yeah, your five. Yeah, I, I did the one the first post about writing. Um, that basically what I wrote about you can find on our blog on our website. Um, 
It's basically just like, here are the five most valuable tips that I've gathered from books uh, about writing. And um, the, the most important book, I think, for me, the most influential is uh, William Zinzer's On Writing Well. His book is really helpful to help to, to clarify your thoughts and, and to um, show you how to cut out the fat, how to really right. focus on what you're trying to communicate and so that your reader gets what you're saying. Um, and there are several things. I listed the five things I listed, five most valuable pieces of advice for writing. It would be one, know your audience, know who you're writing to, you know, avoid unnecessary right. jargon and that kind of stuff. Write like you speak. You know, basically recognizing that the thesaurus is a reminding tool. Right. Yeah. If you don't actually talk like that, <laughs> yeah. you probably shouldn't write like that. Yeah. Because at, one thing that we talked about is if you're trying to read the piece that you just wrote out loud and you have trouble pronouncing the words, you probably should just take them out of there <laughs> because that's not you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then the third piece of advice was... Uh, when you're writing, stay on track and be conscious of that. Have a plan, have an outline that you're writing to or whatever. Because if you can chart a course and stay on it, then your reader can follow you. Right. Um, and it's a really common thing to kind of just write whatever comes to your head. And that may work fine for you, but, but writing is communication. And if the reader can't follow what you're, where you're going... There's a breakdown there. Right. Yeah. People don't always follow or track with your own internal dialogue. Right. We actually <clears throat> don't make sense to a lot of other people. So <laughs> it's important to keep that in mind. Like uh, stick to what you're wanting to write about and yeah. don't, don't chase too many rabbit trails. Uh, then the fourth thing I talked about was uh, reading it aloud. And that's that's basically one way to ensure that you're obeying the second rule. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right like you speak. But reading it out loud, you know, if it doesn't sound right, it won't read right. And if it just sounds like someone's talking and it's natural, then that's a really good indicator of, hey, I've, I've put these words together in a very uh, comfortable way that people can latch on to. And then the last thing was have others critique it. Mm. Um and I think that was the hardest thing for me to get over when I first started writing publicly on my blog years ago was putting it out in front of people and being honestly, genuinely open to people saying, I don't get that sentence. Why right. are you, where are you going with this? I don't feel very compelled by your argument. I don't. Right. Yeah. That's a yeah. little. I don't understand what you're saying or yeah. right. Uh, you're not very clear. Uh, yeah, basically, you know, in this in this day and age of social media and uh, posting pictures of your projects and things like that, there are many more opportunities to be criticized. And we see that all over the place. You know, yep. YouTube comments are legendary for their cruelty. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. But um, also as a, a ma magazine, you, uh, you get those kind of things as well. And so, um, but for writing... Uh, accepting the criticism of someone that you know and trust can be a, a huge learning tool. Yeah, It can really help you overcome hurdles in writing that you maybe didn't even realize you're struggling with. Yep. It, and I think it's just important to, re to remember that this whole thing is communication. Right. <laughs> like I, I just said before, you know, <clears throat> that 
if they don't get what you're saying, it may sound great in your head and you can picture it, what you're saying. You right. can visualize it, but if they don't visualize it, right, that's just not accomplishing what you're trying to do. So every time, every single article we publish is seen and read by three or four people at least yep. here and we're bouncing around it. and we say how about this change what about this change and i think a big part of that too um for an author is to have the humility yeah. to be able to set aside what you think is this awesomely crafted sentence or paragraph if someone else or two other people look at it and go uh i don't i don't really think that's conveying clearly enough let's say it this way sure um you know, have that humility to say, okay, yeah, I see that is clearer. You're right. Um, because, yeah, as Josh was saying, this is all we, we want to communicate clearly. And mm -hmm. uh, especially uh, when it comes to things as practical and hands-on as woodworking or, you know, history, sure. uh, writing sure. about history. You don't want to be cloudy in your writing the <laughs> right. way you come across. You know, we're not, we're not pursuing some... Uh, esoteric mind bending novel here that we're writing that right you know leaves you in you know a cloud of doubt as to what's going on we're we're looking for clarity right and i mean that that happens for all of us usually you know everything every article i write i send it to mike first and then out to jim or megan or whoever and you know sometimes i'll get a list of suggestions back change this how about this how about this and i go oh no yeah. it's not and i stop and think i go hmm right you know what that may actually work let's try it and see you know yeah. and then i think every single time you guys are right <laughs> like every time so you know it's uh it's important when you're writing for the public that the public uh responds strongly and positively in the way you want right um, so yeah and as uh it's always funny, uh, and we've talked about this with previous issues, but as we, we, we're taking this kind of organic process of finding, tracking down interesting leads for articles for uh, these issues, we have found that a theme kind of emerges, this undercurrent or a connecting thread with yeah. the articles. Uh, for, for issue four, we found it to be um, axes or hatchets. It, it's kind of we talked about oh what should the cover photo be and we said wow and it keeps popping up the the use of uh you know an axe or a hatchet and you know the majority of the articles in the magazine have something about that of course a, a will's piece is like huge axes in every photo nearly yeah. um but you know timber framing <clears throat> but then jim tolpin is making this extremely precise straight edge in his article and he starts you know, shaping the straight edge with a hatchet. And he even mentions in his article how that's that's kind of ironic. But um, that's sort of been the theme that, that has popped up in this article. And we are very pleased with that because yeah. we see the use of a, an axe or hatchet in the workshop as um, it's such a, a useful, efficient tool for quickly removing stock and even for for detailed shaping and smoothing i think it's it's underappreciated in this day and age and yeah you know western woodwork yeah that was definitely not at all that didn't emerge by our steering right as many scripts are coming in we kept seeing hatchets being discussed and we're like wow this is like 
a theme here. Is <laughs> not yeah. intentional, but um, I, I remember uh, I just saw something, a little video George Sawyer put up, and he, he was telling everybody, if you don't have a, uh, I think I think a single bevel hewing hatchet, you got to get one. <laughs> he's hewing out leg stock for for turning for his Windsor chairs, and it's just I think it's a really important tool um, that comes before the foreplane, you know. Being able to hew out stock, then get to the foreplane, then yeah, move from the coarsest to the finest tools. Um, I think everybody needs to have a single bevel hatchet or, or even a double bevel. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it really um, it it uh, embodies what David Pye w- would talk about in unregulated tools. It is pretty well completely unregulated, and it's pretty viewed close. as as Vic notes in his article. You might view it with some suspicion of the the dangers involved uh and just kind of swinging an axe around to shape uh fine pieces of wood but i remember years ago uh an article i read i can't remember what if it was in wooden boat or an old issue of fine woodworking um but it was about a norwegian boat builder who shaped he built these beautiful rowboats and he did all the shaping of the planks with a hatchet um extremely detailed shaping and the pictures in it were, were just gorgeous. And I, I thought, wow, I mean, that really was like opening a door. Like, what, really? You can do that kind of fine work with a hatchet. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad to have seen that as the theme that emerged. It's, it's uh, uh, something that I think needs more of a spotlight shown on it as an everyday yeah. tool in the shop. Yeah. And then the, uh, so the cover has a hatchet on it. This, uh, this will actually have it right here. It is a Simmons and Company hatchet. I think it was originally, yeah, a single bevel, but it's got a little bit of a back bevel on it right now. Um, so I finally, we finally just laid out the cover mm-hmm. yes, yesterday or the day before. It's just all done. Covers there. You know, it's all set to go to the printer. So I finally was able to fix the handle. Right. Because <laughs> there's a, a split off the bottom of it. And so I was able to scarf on new wood. And I'm excited to get this thing into use. Yeah. Again, uh, a little pitch for uh, Liberty Tool Company and the Hulse Cove <laughs> Tool Barn. This yeah. hatchet, it, it dates, what, about 1830 1830 to, 1830 to 1860, I think, is the yeah. window. Um, but, yeah. So, yeah, a hundred and, you know, maybe 160, 170-year-old hatchet to be had and to be put back into use. And yeah. 36 bucks. Yeah, there you go. It's beautiful. So... Um, yeah, but every time uh, we, we we have this this theme that runs through, uh, that, that kind of emerges, issue three, there seemed to be like this art and craft balance, the relationship of art versus craft that right. kept kind of coming up. Um, issue four is this, this hatchet thing comes up. Even though we have a theme, we always try to have this big balance to the to each issue yeah. and to even to within articles. Um, the idea behind M&T is to merge the insights of makers and scholars and conservators to understand historic craft and, you know, what it was like to work in a workshop. And um, so, so we want to be able to, ref- our writing to reflect that, different kinds of insights being reflected. So, for example, um, some, having historical research and scholarly presentation right alongside some really hands-on, very practical kind of stuff. Right. We feel like that's 
that's like the heart of what MT is all about. So if somebody's expecting this to be just some academic journal, they're going to be disappointed with all this woodworking going on. Right. And if somebody is buying this thinking it's just a woodworking publication, right. they're going to be really bored with all like this. Like a step project. Yeah, like step projects or something. They're going to be really bored with, you know, this look at history that happens as well. So it really is the consciously merging those two things together. Um, and I think, you know, I, every issue is like that. But Jim McConnell's uh, article is a really great example. Um, in, in issue four, he's writing about this Swiss Goods School of Cabinet Making, the way they made their, their drawers that we were talking about uh, earlier. This is it five-sided... Mm -hmm. five, One, the, two, the, three, there are five yeah. parts to the back and um, sides. The back and sides are all one-piece cut and steam-bent together, so it um, fits into a corner cupboard. And you'd have to see a picture to see what I'm talking about. But um, I, I, when Jim sent us his manuscript, he had finished the project, he built this drawer, sent us the pictures, sent us the manuscript. It's about... 50-50. Yeah, the first half it of it is describing the history of this school, trying to track down who made what, where could this tradition have come from of making this, because it's almost like coffin making, actually. Right. Um, and then he says, you know, so you just got to try like, this. I got to try and make this drawer. So mean, then it's great. The second half of the article is he's, he's doing it. He's making it. He's trying this process. And he was talking about how many he failed at. And he was trying to bend them and they broke and he kept doing it. And that to me is like... Awesome. Yeah. That really highlights the, um, it's a great picture of the balance we're trying to strike, bringing those two worlds together to inform. Yeah, it, it's very nearly experimental archaeology. You know, right. you take an artifact right. and you try and reverse engineer it with uh, tools that would have been available and with as, the, as much insight into the mindset of the maker as you can get through studying the history and what's available there. That's, we love that stuff. I mean, that yeah. is... That is really awesome. Um, you know, a, another uh, kind of tension that we hold is is sort of the the idea of philosophical versus practical. And um, in issue four, as it comes about, I, I get to represent the philosophical side a little bit, which is funny because at first when um, when we started with this idea for for the article of it's called uh, in pursuit of the handmade aesthetic, we thought it would be more of a practical you know, research type of thing, but it, it sort of evolved into this philosophical pursuit of uh, what exactly is the handmade look uh, in furniture and how can we define that and can we define it? Um, and kind of standing for the practical side in this issue are uh, Joshua's couple articles. Uh, one, very practically, unpacks the restoration and use of wooden-bodied bench planes uh, it's super helpful article. I mean, basically, this article will allow you to uh, go into a dusty old shop and find something and uh, look, know what to look for in a quality tool and pick it out, bring it home, clean it up, and get it get it going again, get it making shavings. So it, it's it's super practical. Uh, also, Joshua's article on um, uh, table making and uh, his layout system way for efficiently processing through um, stock and laying things out in a way that's uh, just 
very understandable and clear cut, understanding reference faces and things like that. Uh, so these are two very, very practical um, looks at, um, you know, hand tool woodworking. Yeah. It, well, and, and Will Lissick's piece, that, that travelogue, that trip through Romania um, when he was building the timber frame structure, mm. that is, to me, is like, really embodies that too because it's so practical they're right. building right a, a roof structure for this blacksmith shop hewing he shows up to all these this big line of logs yep. that they start hewing with axes building you know making joinery fitting it raising it and then he launches into this philosophical reflection mm -hmm. thing and he's talking all about the value of handcraft in society today and that he closes his article, you know, talking about how he's driving down the highway to go back to the airport to head back to the States. And he's seeing, um, I don't remember how you described it, smokestacks. And, you know, yeah. basically these factories, these, these factories moving and in signs. and encroaching. Yeah, and he was just thinking, wow, there's this Romanian handcraft tradition. There's this culture that still has a lot of things they're using. Will was telling us that in Romania, that the um, at least in this area, that they have horses and carts are actually on the rise, that they're actually using more than the more automobile. and more. Yeah. And uh, that automobiles are kind of on the decline. And so it's so interesting to see that contrast between that and then the, the encroaching industrial society. So he went into this whole philosophical thing that I just felt really inspired by. Yeah. It was really cool. So I think it's good to have those two things held together because we are more than just our hands. Yes. You know? Yep. And I think a lot of people who are into woodworking aren't just doing it because it's economically viable. <laughs> right. They're doing it because they love it. And yep. they, they love the connection to this this craft and their ancestors, perhaps. Or they, they want to have a deeper connection than just, yeah, I can build this thing cheaper myself. Right. You know? Yeah. There's you more to it. You want something done right, you got to do it yeah, yourself. So, so we think that... Um, Step projects, if we're going to understand historic craft practice, step projects are not enough. Right. We also think that uh, names and dates and probate inventories are not enough. Right. <laughs> that we need to bring all this, all these pieces together to really fill out that picture to inform our practice today. So, yeah, I think it's it's really coming together. And yeah. I think that uh, issue four is hit those balances pretty well and, and pleased with how it's come together yeah and uh you know you can see this uh these different themes running through you know all our previous issues where in uh issue three we had this this um kind of in, insightful philosophical look at the lives of of drew langsner and kenneth courtmeyer and their their backgrounds their thoughts on craft and art as we said that that was kind of the theme uh, running under that issue. And then, um, you know, Danielle Rose Bird's article is very philosophical and thoughtful. And, and then I make a candle stand out of a tree. So that's like, <laughs> I mean, there's a little bit of historic background there, but then I'm, I'm chopping down a tree and splitting it and turning it into something else. So yeah. So I, these are. I think that's the way to do it. Yeah, right. <laughs> to, to hold those things all together. You yeah. know, especially like the issue three starts with Jim McConnell's, you know, what is perfection? Right. 
you know, like, that's how, not how... a lofty <laughs> entry into... <laughs> at all. And then we proceed into some of these other. Yeah. Topics. And, and again, that's... you know, those themes uh, un, are an undercurrent. Jim talking about perfection and he's talking about surfaces. He's talking about, you know, even imperfections in the table he made and he will always see those imperfections. But then we we build on that. We want to unpack that and have this understanding that something handmade will have those variations. And historically, that was the rule. And that adds to the beauty of the object is is really where um, Jim Jim goes in that article in issue three. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think that um, I'm curious to see. We always get feedback from readers on on specific articles. And we actually, like feedback. Send feedback. Yeah, send please. feedback. I love it. I think actually, interestingly, you know, for a so-called woodworking publication, I think Jim's article about perfection is the piece that we've gotten the most feedback about. Right. A lot of people write to us and say, man, that article that Jim wrote about perfection yeah. really was great. It just so affected me. And so I think that that's hitting on something. That's Yeah, that's something right. that, that people who, who practice these handcrafts have in common. I mean, there's, I've not, I don't think I've met a, a hand tool woodworker who's not also like a, a philosopher in some way. I mean, <laughs> sure. it seems it's easy to go into a deeper conversation yeah. with this, uh, this awesome group of people. Um, so there are some new things uh, about this issue. Uh, very practically speaking, there's paper. Paper, yeah. So and we. There's paper in the magazine, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. The the news is not that we're going digital because we're not because we're Ever. never gonna. Um, but uh, yeah, we're we're upgrading our paper. We had uh, from the very beginning, we felt strongly about uh, presenting this in on uncoated paper. It's got a really soft look to it, and it's um, doesn't have the conventional uh, glossy, shiny, clear, crisp, almost computer screen looking right. feel to it. We wanted, we consciously wanted to use uncoated paper and have a softer look. Um, the downside to that is that with some images, it gets a little bit too soft. Mm -hmm. When you have coated paper and you print on top of that, it's just super crisp. So what we decided to do was uh, invest a ton more money <laughs> right. into this time upgrading to essentially it's an uncoated paper but it's essentially a super high quality premium very very fine paper yeah um called finch opaque um so it's a, still a heavyweight paper just like our uh, other issues but it's very very fine so it's practically speaking to my eye it's sort of like halfway between the paper we've been using and coated paper right it's so it's like uncoated beautiful but mm -hmm. has a lot more clarity the and crisp, crispness yeah. it's it's really really great um, yeah, it's really expensive, but I think it's going to be so worth it because it's beautiful. It's yeah, really and stuff. so we were looking at some of the uh, some other things that we've seen printed on that paper, and we're just picking out details and going, "Wow, this is really, yeah, really cool." So uh, when you get your copy of issue four, uh, study the images. Let us know what you think about yep. the paper and clarity and feel and and all that. Well, it's just it's so funny too because I was thinking. As I was talking about the printer, like, you know, I want this paper to be better. What do we got? What are our options? And we were going through options and that kind of thing. And I've just heard from several other places and people that, you know, it's it's actually, I think some places are actually looking for like, we're going to get cheaper paper. 
Print is really expensive. I don't want to have to pay for all this paper. Where can I get cheaper paper? Outsource mm -hmm. it somewhere else. Uh, but for me, I feel like, you know, this whole thing is a celebration of the yeah. tangible. Yeah. <laughs> and so for us, we, we're actually looking to Where can always... we get more expensive paper? <laughs> Maybe not necessarily more expensive, <laughs> but better quality paper. Yeah. Um, and better quality printing and better quality everything, every aspect of it. Um, we want these things to have as much impact uh, in people's lives as possible. And I think that that's a, a real practical way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we don't, this, this is a, it's basically a, a book that we want to be able to stay on your bookshelf uh, for years and years and pass it around and, um, you know, something that lasts. We, we want this, this uh, publication to be something that is not just a throwaway kind of thing. So, that's kind of yeah. part of the philosophy. Um, uh, another thing this time that's new is uh, we, I used to work with someone uh, back in my boatyard days who had a background in yacht and marine design. And he's kind of gone, um, he's gone off on his own in pursuit of kind of artistic endeavors and things like that. And we needed somebody to do some drawings for us in this issue. So we brought uh, Chris Guyette on board to, to take care of a few uh, illustration things for us. And we are thrilled with what he gave us. Yeah, it's incredible. And so we're looking forward to working with him more in the future. Uh, but he did, uh, what, three different drawings in <clears throat> yep. this issue for us? Three. And it's cool because he, he has a background in uh, naval architecture and in fine art. <clears throat> right. And so, you know, we really wanted we basically said you know we've had uh, several people offer sketchup and cad services to us that oh we can do illustrations and i just always felt like you know what we're going this crazy anyways right <laughs> that if we're gonna have drawings we're gonna have hand drawings right it, you know why not yeah and so um but i just couldn't i i haven't yet i hadn't yet found just the right person for it until we uh saw chris's drawings um and so they're perfect. They're really, um, his background in architecture and engineering are, it's, it's very precise and really, really great. But it's like those old classic blueprint drawings. Right. That they're just super precise, but they have soul. Yeah. They're really beautiful. Yeah. Um, I It always impressed me when we were at the, the boatyard working. Uh, Chris would be the guy to go in when a boat owner would, they, they had a purchase a new sailboat and we'd be down below and they'd be like, I want to change this and change the V-berth this way and put new cabinets here and change the change the galley around. And Chris would take notes and he'd be like, all right. And he would sit and he could he could draw it. He could make it uh, this three-dimensional rendition of their vision. And I'd see these people looking at it and going, wow, how did you do that? And I was, I'm just, uh, that kind of... Uh, ability to visualize something three-dimensionally and pick it apart and put it on paper is is really cool so we're glad to have him on board and uh i hope you all enjoy his illustrations as well yeah we are getting also we have the packing party coming up yeah. um, and so we're getting ready for away. that yeah it's a month away oh my goodness <laughs> less wait less than a month no yeah. A month from today. Yeah. Yee. So, yeah, we, for the first time, we're going to be having our packing party where we ship out the new magazine. We're going to be hosting it at our uh, new workshop. Yeah. So um, we have, you know, we got to like 
build a front door and yeah, like, we might you know, have that kind of stuff. Finish but, the wall, but we'll be ready for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that that's really exciting uh, for us to be able to do that. Uh, we're just kind of making plans right now, uh, figuring out what tables we need, workbenches, how many people, how many stations for uh, doing the wrapping. Uh, for those of you that aren't aware, we we wrap the pre-orders and the subscriptions in brown paper, and we have wax sealed trade cards that get applied, and we yeah. put uh, pine wood shavings in the package, and it's this whole ordeal. Um, so we have a lot of help come up and and volunteer, and so uh, we're trying to figure out how how to fit everybody in there, how to set up the stations, and uh, how to make it the the most convenient way to do it. Yeah, and a big part of it is we want to make sure because you know the highlight of this event is just meeting new people and, yeah. and sharing because we have people who come from all over, and and we will this time as well. Lots of people have have contacted us and let us know they want to come and some of them are coming from a distance right and some of the you know people we have never met and you know the the biggest part of this is just connecting with with one another and talking and so we're we're wanting to arrange all the tables so that people can face each other and 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 talk and see each other and uh you know making sure that we have appropriate amounts of coffee and things <laughs> like that uh just to just to make this a fun fun gathering yeah um that's it's a blast it really is so yeah. that's a month away yeah and uh kind of a big deal yeah and i just so i just last night uh, i was texting with our copy editor megan fitzpatrick and she said hey i just got the last uh copy edits done and she sent it off to me so i'm gonna this afternoon uh finish those up put those all together and between now and uh well thursday morning next week we are uploading this magazine to the printer so between now and then we're just doing binder read we're just going to be combing through it checking everything making sure it's looking for those oxford commas (laughs) (laughs) yeah we're looking for everything that we uh according to house style and make sure we didn't slip up and i didn't accidentally you know shift things at the last moment there um, so yeah, it's it's a really exciting time. It's all done. Just a few last little things to put in place, but it's yeah. it's coming soon. So we're yeah. excited. Yeah, we are. This is always a, a really exciting stage. And then the the final upload, uh, we're always going back and forth. Joshua has tried doing the upload from his house, right? Did yep. you try it at your house? I did. Okay, so internet up here. The first two issues were from my house. And how long did that take? I don't know. It's a it's a joke. It was like four hours or something. Yeah. Was... And so, yeah, the internet speeds up here are not necessarily what you'd call uh, like breakneck Appropriate speed. Appropriate or decent <laughs> right. at all. It's basically a little faster than dial-up was, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> but um, so last year we did it at my house, which is a little faster than Joshua's house. And the upload still took an hour and a half, roughly. Yeah. So we might go to the you know, <clears throat> library or yeah i might have to go to the else. library to upload this thing yeah. i don't know we'll see it's pretty funny one of these days yeah we'll get faster internet and maybe maybe but um yeah so we're getting ready uh pre-orders uh we'll we'll continue taking pre-orders through march 21st that's wednesday march 21st right before the packing party right. that weekend so between now and then uh you can still sign up for a subscription to get a wrapped copy of issue four or pre-order issue four uh, individually. Um, after the pre-order window 
closes, we don't send out the the trade cards anymore. No more yep. wax seals or pine shavings. Yeah, there are, uh, there are a lot of people who write to us to ask about that, getting trade cards from past issues. And we have to tell them, uh, just, once the pre-order window's it. closed, that's it. Yeah. They're not available. So after, you said March 21st. 21st, yep. Um, the wrapped copies of issue four will not be available anymore. Yeah. But we are just about there yeah last a, few pieces it's a cool stage to be at all right well thank you all for listening to the mortis and tenon podcast if you haven't already you can subscribe at itunes or wherever you get your podcasts if you have any questions or comments like we said please uh, feel free to send them along uh leave them below here write to us at info at mortis and comment on instagram or elsewhere and uh, we'd love to hear what you have to say Thank you for listening. Thanks.